Hello and welcome to this week's Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Tash. I'm Becky. And I'm Emma. Hi. Hello. How are you lovely ladies? Not bad, thanks. How are you? I'm okay. I had to fly. <laughs> this is really weird. I had such an urge to say that I was somebody else. Like, I was going to say, and I'm Fred. Oh my God. <laughs> That's really fun to do. You know, when you go to like Starbucks or any other sort of coffee house where they might ask your name for the cup. I mean, no, I don't. I live in the arsehole of nowhere, so. Okay, well. You tell me about yeah. it. So lots of coffee houses ask for your name for like the cup. So they just sort of shout your name out when your order's ready. And it's fun to sometimes put a fake name. But yeah. then you also have to remember that you've put a fake name. So like someone like our age might say Martha, like. Gladys. I know there are Marthas out there, but not really our generation. Yeah. Yeah. My story was really crap, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm thinking of just fun names. But you get I the gist. Say, like, like saying you're called Ben Dover or... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's on par with that. You know, it's kind of Simpson-esque, isn't it? Ivon could be spanked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh... I make myself laugh and that's sad. You're funny, but also... (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm sexy. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) And smart. Super smart. Stop it, stop it. Yeah, stop picking her up, for fuck's sake. (laughs) No, keep going, keep Um... going. I need this, man. (laughs) (laughs) Also, can I just say how hot we looked in those promo pictures in our video? Well, of course we did. I chose only the fucking best. Go on, us. I know. Not that I made the video, but I chose the photos. I mean, wit a woo. <laughs> <laughs> but we are hot, so. I mean, you have not seen what I look like right now, but yes. I'm wearing pink pyjama bottoms with hearts on. Oh, nice. Yep. I let my hair air dry today, which I don't know why all of a sudden I've decided to do this, because I never do this, but I... Just had my hair dyed dark brown, so I normally have blonde highlights, and I look like Lord Farquhar. <laughs> so, hot. Oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> Becky, did you snort? Yes, I did. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, love a Becky snort. Oh, we just discovered something. It's very sad. It's a very sad day in spinulas and serial killers because we've discovered that Tash can no longer talk about her Tinder dates. Why would that be, Tash? Because I basically promote our podcast whenever I go on a date with somebody. I feel like it could be really embarrassing. Yep. So am I like, imagine if I have met or may meet my love of my life, my husband, my soulmate, whatever you want to call them. But I've previously promoted this podcast to them and they're going to hear about how I really like swinging balls and... You have no gag reflex. (laughs) Get the ick from baggy jeans. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if he's your soulmate and the guy you're supposed to be marrying, he'll be like, hell yes, I'm marrying that woman. He'd look down and be like, I'm not wearing baggy jeans. Potentially. Or he'll just think, what a massive slazer. A slazer? Slazer. So I... A slazer? 
a slazar. What, what the fuck's a slazar? Don't confuse Emma. <laughs> I, I think, well, a slazar's like a slut. Oh, okay. But I think a slut can be quite a derogatory term. Well, it is. We're not slut shaming anybody. So I feel like a slazar's a bit more of a friendly term. A slazar? Yeah. It literally sounds like some kind of animal. Does it? Sounds like a Pokemon, <laughs> like an electric slug. It does. I was thinking slug. See, Becky, same brain. Yeah. <laughs> or a slug from uh, the BFG. I bet that would have been called the Slugger. Oh, yeah. That's a great film and a great book. Yes. Go Roll Doll. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Roll Doll. <laughs> <laughs> shout out. <laughs> I grew up with his books. Love his books. Me too. I love his books. When we go on long car journeys, we listen to his uh, like audio books. Yeah, absolutely. Stop listening to this shit right now and go and read the old book. <laughs> Educate yourselves. <laughs> the Twits is my favourite. The Witches. Come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So this could potentially be it for the Dating Chronicles. Although we all know that I've got verbal diarrhoea and it probably won't be. So stay tuned. I don't think you should stop promoting to your Tinder dates because, like, our ratings are doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> that is not only to people that I have matched with on Tinder. I was going to say the complete opposite. I was going to say stop promoting the podcast to your Tinder dates so that we can talk about your Tinder dates on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. And Tinder dates out there, just know, we've talked about you before recording. We know. We know. (laughs) (laughs) That thing you did, we know. We know all about it. Anyway, before we go into the murder, the little song quiz, the song was Whoops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears, and I got two correct answers. Hold on, isn't it Oops, I Did It Again, not Whoops? Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's the American way, because she's American. Makes sense. It's oops, I did. What do you mean? Oops. What is oops, the American version of whoops? Yeah. English (laughs) people... No, they're two different words. No, they're not. American people say (laughs) oops, and English people go, (laughs) whoops-a-daisy. Do you agree? Write in and tell us at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. What do you say? A lot of the time, I think our two languages just kind of merge. Yeah. They do. It's the same language, just different. The odd words different. It was Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears. And I got two right answers. One was Megan and one was someone called Cez. And I'm really sorry if I didn't pronounce that right, but I think I did. And uh, girls, did you get any answers on Instagram or email? No. No. Oh, well, you guys are a load of party poopers that nobody wants to play with. Sorry. Not you, the listeners, not wanting to play. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I thought I was going to say, I don't have any um, choice that people answer or not. (laughs) (laughs) It's all your fault, Becky. Nobody played my game. Yeah. Nah. (laughs) Um, But I do think you need to give the answer for the other one because people are not going to hear this. This is not going to go out until next week. So I want the answer for this one because it's been doing my head in and I haven't got it. And I know that you're going to say it and I'm going to be like, 
Oh, fuck's sake. I published it this morning. I'm not going to give you the answer. I shall message it to you. Yeah, but it's not going to go out until next week. But it hasn't given anybody a chance. I haven't got any... Oh, you got the answer right, because nobody's answered. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. But no one... No, but listen... (laughs) People need to be faster. They need to get on it straight away and have it yeah. for the next day. Come on, people. <laughs> Look, no, I'm actually sweating because I want to know what the answer is because it's annoyed me I'm so gonna much. I'm going to message it to you now, okay? No, I want you to tell me. <laughs> tell me now. Right, just go and look on the chat and stop sweating. Oh, so sweaty though because it's so, so heavy at the minute here. I had to like practically hair dry my underboob. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was that. I'm so... (laughs) That was my first guess. I was like, I know it's that. There you go. You got it right. I should have guessed it and you'd have been like, Becky, you're so smart. Whereas now you just have to believe that that was my best guess. I believe that you guessed it. But also, I, after our previous conversation, I don't believe you're sweating because it's hot. I I think you're sweating because you've been wearing latex. (laughs) (laughs) we were talking earlier about how uncomfortable dominatrix outfits must be sorry where was i for this conversation i think i think you dipped out of the conversation and gone back to work whereas uh, emma said that she wasn't what did you say that you'd be a good dominatrix or whether you'd be oh i said i'd be a terrible dominatrix because i'd be constantly making sure they're okay and apologizing for being such a bitch and I said Tash, on the other hand, would rock it, but then you vanished. Yeah. And I think that I'd be, if I got the outfit on, that it'd be turning into a different person. I'd be really good at it. And where then did take you the have outfit this conversation and, and where the fuck was I? I don't know. It was about, about 5, 5, 5.30 French time. Oh, fucking hell. God, yeah, sorry. I was, I was making tea. I was doing dinner. That British thing. So yeah, Becky seems to think she'd rock it. I see. I think that A, I'd be shit because I'm too polite and B, that outfit just seems really uncomfortable to me. I can definitely hear it squeaking as you walk around. Oh, the squeak. Yeah, you have to wear latex. There's lots of different outfits. <laughs> You'd be constantly saying, that was the outfit. It wasn't a fart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my husband says to me all the time when he's walking about in his slippers on our tiles. It was the slippers. <laughs> it was the slippers. <laughs> oh, imagine sitting on it like a, you know, them squeaky fake leather chairs in, in oh, the dominatrix yeah. suit. So it'd just be double squeak. You'd set a fire. <laughs> There's some serious chafing. Oh, the chub rub. Um, I actually think I'd be all right as a dominatrix. I think you'd rock it. My issue, like, with anything in my life is I'm just not consistent enough. And I would get bored halfway through and be like, should we we swap roles now? But then if I was being paid for it, maybe I'd do it. I also feel it would be a great anger outlet. I am an angry person. (laughs) No. (laughs) Hang on, I'm just picking my jaw up off the floor. Shall we set up some sort of like call center for people to order us a dominatrix? Be like, hi, 0800 dominatrix for Natasha. Press one. (laughs) For Becky, press two. (laughs) And nobody press for Emma. Don't. 
don't press Venmo. For an awkward dumbass. I'd just be awkward as fuck. Yeah, but like, level one is Tash, like the highest level. I'm like mediocre, and then Emma's just a bit like a a bashful dominatrix. I'd be like, oh, you're a naughty boy, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, honesty corner. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> who's <laughs> no, it's nothing bad I'm gonna say I, I'm leaving <laughs> no honesty corner who's ever googled how to make money from selling photos of your feet oh absolutely I'm selling man new knickers <laughs> I looked that up before it's not actually that much money it's only like 10 pounds pair of knickers yeah, and I think you. It was a whole. I read up on it, and you have to like set up like a client base. And I was like, I, but can't I feel be like asked. also the people want attention. They want you to interact with them. I haven't got time for that. No, and also knickers are expensive, and if I'm only selling them for ten euros, it's like at least five euros for a pair of knickers, like ones that you'd sell on something like that. You know, all that time creaming your jeans and everything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Stop saying that. It makes me feel really weird. <laughs> it's such a disgusting thing to say. But do you remember when, when like in the noughties, when people would say that all the time? Oh, yeah, stop creaming your jeans. <laughs> it always reminds me of Derrily. <laughs> and I was thinking, why? Babe, if it looks like Derrily, you need to go to the doctor. I know, but that's why it grosses me out, because that's got nothing to do with down there. <laughs> Oh my god, I took a gulp of water just as Becky said dairyly. Honest to god, I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> That's honestly the worst cheese as well. Oh. Is it a cheese? Is it like that sliced cheese where if you look at it it's only got ten percent cheese in it? What what's the other ninety percent? Oh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's it's the uh foot cheese off my feed that I sell to people on the internet. <laughs> Right. Right, we've been talking about shit for 18, nearly 20 minutes. <laughs> and giggling. Get to it, murder. Oh, yeah, I was kind of sat back waiting for <laughs> waiting for you to say your story. No, no, you're just going to be a massive bummer. Yeah, best get to work then. <laughs> Give uh, the people what they want. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... um. I thought maybe Tash might grace us with her Australian accent because. Uh, did you just say accent? I did. Phenom. <laughs> did you just turn into Sean Connery? <laughs> oh! <laughs> it's not a funny story. I just want Tash to do a shark Look, impression. Maybe I will, but it has to come naturally. We can't force it. Yeah, it can't be forced. I do know this. Uh, so come on, just okay. go on with it. All right. Anyway, so I did, wasn't really sure what to um do this. I'm really um, sorry. I didn't mean that, Bex. Forgive oh. me. Are you, are you okay? It's the dominatrix coming out, Emma. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Let her free. <laughs> what would your dominatrix name be? It'd have to be Madame something. Maybe I'll put it as a as a question on Spotify so people can put their own <laughs> suggestions. What our dominatrix names should be. That sounds yeah. fun. Make mine good. <laughs> I'll start. Um, so this uh, story mainly takes place in the 90s in Australia. 
So this is or was a horrifying mystery that haunted Perth for decades and really affected the area. It was in the very um, posh and uptown neighbourhood of Claremont in Perth. The case began with the disappearance of Sarah Spears. Sarah was a lovely, bubbly girl, and people said that she had an aura about her that just made people feel really great and just brought out the best in other people. You know, there's those people that kind of just cheer you up, just always really happy in that. So at the time she was 18, she was doing what a lot of 18-year-olds do, going out on the weekend. On the 27th of January, 1996, she went out dancing with some friends. After the night out, she left the club in Bayview in the centre of Claremont at around 2am. At six minutes past two, Sarah called Swan Taxis from a public telephone booth. Although she was living in South Perth with her older sister at the time, she had requested to be taken to a nearby suburb of Mossman Park. She was sighted waiting alone near the corner of Stirling Road and Stirling Highway at least three eyewitnesses had seen her waiting there, but they also mentioned seeing an unidentified car stopping near her while she was waiting. However, when the taxi arrived at 2.09am, she was not in the place that she was supposed to be waiting for him, but in the dark could have been missed by the driver. So he went forwards and backwards a few times and couldn't find it so you went and picked up a different I mean fare. I wouldn't say I get a taxi on a regular basis but it does happen and I am looking out for that taxi yeah because that's three minutes 206 she called the taxi 209 the taxi turned up three minutes so she's got in the wrong car yeah bless her by the sound of it nearby a residence in Mosman Park apparently heard blood curdling screams that night oh. But when they looked out the windows, they couldn't see anything. And also, it is still quite a big city. I suppose they hear that a lot. People screaming, coming home from clubs and that. What, blood blood curdling screams? Mm, yeah. I'd still be ringing the cops and just like mentioning yeah. it as well. Like, just don't peek out your window. Ah, oh, no, there's nothing there. It's fine. <sighs> yeah, I've never lived in a big city though, so I really don't know. Absolutely, if I heard a blood curdling scream where I live... I completely would be like, oh, call the police. But I don't know. I don't know if it just makes you desensitized to it. Yeah, possibly. When you hear it all the time. But I don't know. So Sarah is missing. My family can't contact her the next day. She doesn't go back to her sister's house. So Sarah's parents, Don and Carol Spears, well, they reported her missing and then they started a investigation. They did a heartbreaking press release asking for witnesses and information around Sarah's disappearance. Her disappearance soon attracted massive publicity, but Sarah was never seen again. And to this day, her body has never been found. Oh, that is awful. That That's mm, got to be the worst, hasn't it? It's just mm. so terrible. There's no closure for the family. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. And I watched a, a documentary on this, and I think it was a 60 Minutes documentary. I'll double check that, and we could always put it in the notes for the episode if, if you want. But all the parents were interviewed in this documentary, and Sarah's father said that he absolutely, at least for the first 12 months, he just cried himself to sleep every night. Oh. He couldn't. It was just so heartbreaking. It really got to me, did this uh, case, seeing the parents... 
they all had the same well we're parents and it's just your worst nightmare yeah they all looked almost just hunched over you know it's like i don't know it was like a physical thing and you could see all their faces they all carried the same pain it was so it was awful to see and heartbreaking to see someone having to go through that quite a big task force was put into place for sarah the next week detectives on sarah's case took a call from a local detective who believed he had a related case from the year before a 17 year old girl that had been brutally raped in a cemetery after being abducted from claremont park but she survived because it was similar circumstances she was leaving somewhere in the evening and was kidnapped off the street yeah God, raped in a cemetery, that's dark. Jesus Christ. A 17-year-old girl as well. Bless her. She's just so young. It's just horrendous. A baby. Around four months later, when childcare worker Jane Rimmer didn't turn up to a Sunday roast on time on the 9th of June 1996, her concerned mother began calling family and friends. Jane was a responsible, level-headed girl who never missed the weekend catch-up, which often included watching her beloved West Coast Eagles play football. Sarah Wanick, who was Jane's best friend, says that she remembers getting the call to say that her best friend Jane was missing. And she thought it was ridiculous and that she'd probably stayed at a friend's after having too much to drink. But then when the police called her asking questions, that's when it really got real. 55 agonizing days after Jane disappeared, her naked body was discovered by a woman picking wildflowers. Jane's throat had been cut. Oh, no. And a pocket knife was found near the scene. Several residents testified to hearing screams in the area on the evening that Jane disappeared. And one man heard a woman pleading, leave me alone, let me out of here. Why are people not doing anything about hearing that? I don't know. Even if you're scared and you don't want to go out and fight and help her or whatever, ring the coppers, man. Yeah. I mean, you ring the coppers and say, hey, look, this is what I've heard. And the police will just come around and have a look. It's not really, you know, it's not the end of the world. And no copper's going to say, oh, you're wasting my time. It's their job. It's their job. Oh, that makes me cross. Yeah, it's outrageous. Yeah. Jane's friend, Sarah Wanick, said that it was just so traumatic and that you watch TV shows about murder, but you never think it's going to happen to someone that you know in the city where you felt so safe up to this point. And it just happened to a girl that was just so lovely and never hurt anyone, just so, someone so undeserving. Jane and Sarah were inseparable as kids and their mums, Jenny Rimmer and Lorraine Foreman, were best friends. Jane was a girly girl, and she was full of life. People would say that Jane was someone that really adored children and wanted her get married and have kids and have kids to love when she was older. God, it's so disgusting it's taken away from them. Yeah. As police investigated the murder, Jane's best friend was brought in to look at the CCTV footage from the night of her friend's disappearance. Bearing in mind this is 90s CCTV, and even now, in the 2020s, CCTV can look like poo a lot of the time. So, you can see Jane outside this pub. It's a pub slash club called The Continental. 
And around midnight, CCTV spotted her outside the pub. And there are also images of a dark-haired man approaching her. Detectives had no idea who this guy was. And then Jane's friend had a look and she had absolutely no idea who it could be. And it obviously it was quite blurry, but it just looks like he just look, looks like every other guy. Nothing yeah. jumped out at all. Not long after Jane's funeral, Sarah went traveling overseas to escape the trauma of her loss. She suffered panic attacks and anxiety. She just wanted to do something, anything, but she couldn't do anything to get any answers. And while the answers weren't being given, she just needed to get away and do things to help heal herself and help her, you know, get through her grief. Yeah. So the police set up a task force called MACRO, conducting what would become Australia's most expensive investigation. The government offered a then unprecedented $250,000 reward for information, and celebrities came forward to promote the investigation and, and ask for people to come forward too. So nine months later... In the early hours of Saturday the 15th of March 1997, Kiara Glennon, a 27-year-old lawyer from Musman Park, so the same area again, also disappeared from the Claremont area. Like the others, she was with friends at the Continental, so the same bar as with Jane, and had decided to make her own way home. Three men at a bus stop saw... Kiara walking along South Stirling Highway at approximately 12.30am and had observed her interacting with an unidentified light-coloured vehicle which had stopped by the side of her. 19 days later, on the 3rd of April, her semi-clothed body was found by a bushwalker about 25 miles north near a track in, like, in, in the scrub Yeah, near Eglinton. Yeah, about 25 miles away. The thing is, though, that's it with Australia. It's so massive, isn't it? Mm, huge. There's so many places to hide a body. Exactly. There's so much bush area that, you know, if somebody disappears, well, good luck, because it's huge. It's massively massive. So, so far, police haven't really got much evidence at all. Just got some dead girls, haven't they? Just got a lot of dead girls and the public, which was absolutely terrified. What they were doing is around the light, all the nightclubs and that, what they were doing is taxi companies were teaming together with local bus companies and literally bussing women home in big groups. Yeah. So that people are not on their own. Smart. Which I thought was really good. Yeah, definitely. You know, and then people were kind of patrolling, doing a bit of a neighbourhood watch, keeping an eye out for each other. Yeah, there are some good people out there. Yeah. In April 1998, a public servant from Cotslow called Lance Williams was identified by police as a prime suspect after his behaviour attracted their attention. He'd been seen driving around after midnight and circling the Claremont area up to 30 times in a night. That is rather suspicious, Lance. Pretty suspicious. So Lance was placed under intense scrutiny after offering an undercover female police officer a lift home from Claremont one evening in 1997. Mistake! 
Yeah, Mr. Williams denied that he had anything to do with the Claremont killings and said that he was just being a good Samaritan by offering the woman a lift mm-hmm. because of all well, of all the uh, media frenzy around it. He's trying to look out for the women in the area. So that's what he was doing. He was just driving around 30 <laughs> times looking out for people, yeah? <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Just in case. You yeah. never know, right? Yeah. Okay. Could be true. It could be true. I'm not saying he's lying. Could be true. It could be true. Police really found it very suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Me too. They questioned Me too. him. They searched his home that he shared with his elderly parents. Okay, that's even more suspicious. Sorry, but <laughs> in the horror films, they always live with their elderly parents. Yeah. They also scoured a vacant beachfront unit that he owned. Do you know who else um, had a beachfront unit? Who? Carl. Just saying. <laughs> he also had an island and a boat and a plane and round about oh, everything. Fucking everything. Yeah. Well, I believed him. <laughs> they also said that his hair resembled hair recovered from a couple of the victims' bodies. They never said it was a match, it was just similar, but I think everyone that has brown hair would probably look a bit similar, maybe. What does that mean? Like DNA wise, or that no. it just looked similar? It just looked similar under a microscope. Surely they could get DNA out of a hair. Well, yeah, no? isn't that literally where you get DNA from? Yeah, it depends. It has to have a root on it. Oh, does it have to have a follicle? Oh, yeah. Not me. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't either. Okay, so the hair looks similar. The hair looks similar. But all blokes' brown hair is going to look similar, right? Apparently yeah. so. <laughs> Well, it is. To the naked eye. They put him under surveillance because uh, he was very, very sketchy. Surveillance of the state government worker continued for more than two years. With a covert device police installed at his workplace once fallen out of the ceiling and hanging above his head. (laughs) Oh, so... So they were pretty busted when they did that. (laughs) Yeah, not inconspicuous at all. (laughs) No. He was interviewed six times by police. And Mr. Williams was eventually dismissed as a suspect, but not publicly. The case's lead investigator, Dave Caporn, was accused of having tunnel vision when it came to Mr. Williams being considered a suspect. What, like, meaning he was just so sure it was him, he wasn't looking for anybody else? Yeah, he wasn't looking anywhere else. Right, okay. So even though he was subjected to a high level of surveillance and police pressure over years and years, he continued to maintain his innocence. Were girls still getting murdered during this time, or had the murder stopped? They kind of, yeah, I think they'd ceased to the last one with Kira. But again, that's not looking good for Lance, is it? No, it doesn't, doesn't look very good. Or maybe they got a bit too close, so... Yeah, so suspicion then focused on Perth's taxi drivers because that's where a lot of the women were last seen when they were trying to use taxis. This included the driver who claimed to have transported Sarah Spears, the first girl that went missing. The day before she disappeared, there was a taxi driver that had picked her up and taken her somewhere. So a massive fingerprint and DNA testing exercise was then carried out on thousands of taxi drivers that were licensed in Western Australia. When they were looking into the backgrounds of a lot of these taxi drivers, they saw that a lot of them were unlicensed operators. In response to that, 
They basically raised the bar on what taxi drivers had to be and have to be taxi drivers. 78 drivers with criminal history were de-licensed and stricter standards were also applied when it comes to verifying background checks and stuff like that for taxi drivers. The case had gone completely cold. Literally, they spent loads of money on it. Nothing was sticking. No one was jumping out at them. They got nothing. Apart from uh, Williams that they were on to for years. Is that Lance? Yeah, Lance Williams. He was like being harassed by reporters. People were coming in his face with cameras going, did you kill those girls? Did you do it? Why did you do it? I mean, that's not fair because like innocent until proven guilty. Not not in the 90s. I don't think they were as big as, as that on the 90s. You speak you speak about the 90s like it's the olden days. It wasn't that long ago. 30 years, Emma. It was 30 Shut years up. ago. But when, when you wasn't. look into murder cases and what they used to let people get away with and now... Yes, I understand. It's very different. I mean, now a lot of it is kept hush-hush and stuff. Yeah. But anyway. So what do they do with cold cases is they take it out for case reviews. So some different detectives came in a few years later and did a complete case review and decided to look at, go really wide with it because they didn't have anything extra and actually look at all the attacks that were done on women and like break-ins, anything that was suspicious. They went through all the cases a couple of years before and a couple of years afterwards. Yeah. So that was a lot of case files to go through. And then you think everything wasn't computerized. It was all still on file, physical file. Yeah, I know. It was the olden days. We've established that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Wasn't all put on computer yet. And they found this case. On the 9th of the 14th of February 1988, detectives were called out to a family home in the working-class suburb of Huntingdale, where an 18-year-old had been attacked in her bed. The woman awoke to find a man on top of her, his hand clasped over her mouth. Terrified, she dug her fingernails into the man's cheek and he clambered off her. When she turned, he was standing in the bedroom doorway wearing what looked to be a woman's nighty. What the fuck? That's yes. horrifying. Absolutely. She screamed for her father and the man fled, leaving behind a silky white kimono. Jesus, what? I know, very confusing. <laughs> it was a very strange attack, detectives said. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, he had unplugged the telephone but knew the parents were home, so he just closed the parents' bedroom door. And the uh, kimono got their attention, as you don't often find things like that at a crime scene. On a hunch, the detective that was called to the scene used his mate's tracker dog to see if the kimono could be traced. And uh, the next day, the two dogs followed the scent to a nearby house where a couple lived. Inside, police found a sash that belonged to the kimono, so it was from that house. Yeah. But they would clear the husband as a suspect because the detectives learned that the kimono had been stolen from the property, as quite a few of the properties in the area had random things stolen. This person sounds fucking mental. Yes. It is a bit all over the place, is this? I don't know how they linked it together. I mean, it's very erratic, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, fucking mental because you're murdering teenagers. Absolutely horrific. But 
the behaviour just seems like they're weird. Yeah, it's weird. So far, all the detectives had to link the crimes was a blue polyester fibre from a pair of trousers that were found on the bodies of Chiara and Jane, as well as the 17-year-old rape victim. That was the girl that was raped in the cemetery. So mm-hmm. they, the, that's how those were linked. So in 2008, so we're getting to be quite recent, a specialised UK lab made a stunning breakthrough. They found DNA from an unknown male in a sample taken from under Chiara's fingernails. And then when it was run through the Western Australia database, it matched samples taken from the survivor of the cemetery attack. When they had a look at, again at the 1988 attack on that girl in her home they found sperm stains that matched on the kimono that they found at at the scene why were there sperm stains had he just himself or have i, I don't know what he'd well, done it would seem so wouldn't it yeah because he was just on top of her he wasn't raping her Pre-com. was he no he was on top of her and she scratched him and then he ran away yeah, but it maybe like stood there wanking over it before he got on top of it. I don't know. Oh my good god! Yeah. I'm sorry. I went. I went in deep, didn't I? I'm so sorry. <laughs> we can imagine what we probably did to have that on there. Ugh, minga, minga man. So detectives didn't know the suspect's name, but they knew that he'd been prowling the area, stealing women's clothes at that time because of the kimonos so that they um, had a look at the cases of things like that happening around that time in one of the weird little break-ins they'd actually found a fingerprint taken from the doorknob of one of the properties and when they analysed it uh, investigators were stunned that they actually found a match to it this time yes it was a man called Bradley Robert Edwards his fingernails were on file because he'd been convicted of assaulting a social worker in a hospital in 1990 when he went there to repair the phone lines. So poor Lance had been picked on for nothing. For nothing, no. And he was just generally driving around being a good person. Yeah, he was a bit socially awkward. That's all what was wrong. I mean, aren't we all? Aren't we all? And he knew that it kind of looked a little bit suspicious him going around at night, but he was just looking out for young girls, making sure everyone got home safe. Bless his heart. So he was an empath. That's all he was. Bless him. So convinced that they finally had the killer in their grasp, police began tracking Edwards. So two undercover police officers one evening followed Edwards when he went to the cinema with his stepdaughter. Throughout the film, Edwards was drinking a bottle of Sprite And when he left the cinema, he, like a complete skank, left the bottle of Sprite in the chair, which police then collected, and the DNA came back and it was a match. Yes. right it was. Got you, you fucker. But between the 2008, when they first started finding DNA, this is over years. And when the DNA came back, it was quite a while afterwards. This took a long time. If you tell me the fucker died, I am going to be very upset. No, no, he's still alive. Good. So on the 22nd of December, 2016, 
which annoyed me that so long. that was 2008. So that another eight years, this took over eight years. I think they had to have quite a lot of things under their belt before arresting him. So on the 22nd of December 2016, Bradley Robert Edwards was arrested at his Qdale house in relation to the death of the girls. The next day, he was charged with the murders. So at first, they only arrested him for Jane and Chiara. So that's what they charged him on the murders of those two girls because they had the bodies. Edward's old vehicle was tracked down and impounded on the same day as his arrest. So well done, police, for finding that. Mm-hmm. And lucky that it hadn't been scrapped as well. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Fibres from Edward's old vehicle matched fibres found on the body of both Chiara and Jane. There was other evidence, but he was adamant that it was not him. He did not. He was a complete denial. It was stupid that he was being arrested and the police were going to find that it was all a big mistake. And, you know, he was just completely, completely denying it. It's not looking good. No. It goes to trial. Chiara's father, Dennis, attended the trial on most of the days. So did Sarah Spears' parents, Donna and Carol, and Chiara's siblings, Adam and Lee. Her father, Trevor, died in 2008, so he never got to see justice. And her mother, who had suffered a series of strokes, was in aged care at the time, so she couldn't attend the whole thing. So, or barely any of it. I don't think she could attend the trial. Throughout the whole trial, Edwards was very indifferent and just kind of sat there, didn't say a word, didn't go on the stand. It was almost as if he wasn't in that room for that reason. He was just playing with his pen like a child would when you make them wait. Mm. Edwards was found guilty of the murders of Chiara and Jane but not of Spears, though it was very, very likely that he was involved in her disappearance, but because they didn't have a body and didn't have the proof or any other proof that would involve him, he would have had to have admitted it, but he's a piece of shit and did not do that. So on the 23rd of December 2020, he was finally sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 40 years, but there is a high likelihood that he would die in prison. Lance Williams, the guy that they thought was the killer, yeah, was still alive in 2016 when Bradley Robert Edwards was arrested, but had sadly died before the trial. He had cancer and, and didn't see his own justice. Yeah, because that cleared his name. Jesus, his life was basically ruined. Yeah, that shit, isn't Absolutely. It? It ruined that part of his life or his whole life because he still felt guilty about the whole thing, but he never got there to see the guy um, be put behind bars. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Chiara's father died before they made an arrest. Like I said at the beginning, all of the parents, it's kind of aged them and made them look very... Uh, it's just, they can tell that they're just shells of their former selves. They just look like really lovely people. But they're just going through hell every day. For years and years and years, they don't, they didn't know who did it. Like, yeah. Horrible. And poor Sarah. Sarah's parents still don't have a body and he never admitted it. What a piece of shit. That's horrible. They don't have clo- 100% closure. Yeah. I'm just hoping that he will die in prison. Why did it take up until 2020? I know that they have to build cases and everything. 
but 2016 and then it only went through in 2020. I suppose maybe COVID pushed it back another year. But fucking hell. Does it normally take that long? I don't know. It can do, yeah. I know it takes one or two, but God. And he'd gotten away with it for so long before they made an arrest. I suppose he never explained what the fuck he was doing in women's clothes and no because he didn't he didn't admit any of it he didn't do it they've got the wrong guy but they haven't no evidence don't lie he's been caught though like evidence surely you might as well just admit it especially like dna evidence yeah Mm. and there's a lot of it isn't there there was under the fingernails there was the spunk that you know there there was multiple things Mm. yeah yeah, he's just a piece of shit. That's horrendous. Yeah. I hope that maybe, I mean, he's only been in prison, what, not even two years. Maybe he'll admit to it before he dies. Yeah, admit to it, come clean, and uh, give the parents a little bit of closure. Give Sarah a proper burial. Yeah. That's awful. I'm kind of hoping that he's going to do that thing where... They get a bit bored in prison. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you where the body is now just to get a little bit of time out of prison. But at least then they might find her. Yeah. If he knows where he's put her. You never know. Mm. But he sounds like a very, very unstable piece of shit. So I wouldn't count on it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bex. (laughs) That was joyful. Not a good murder. I do like a survival story, though, like last week. I'll have to do one every now and again. Yeah, I do like a survival one. A lot nicer having a... I know that there was some survivors in this one, but it's still, you know, it's still really sad. Yeah, it's awful. The thing that got got me the most was people could hear them dying and they did nothing. I'm not on board with that. Mm, Me neither. If you hear something, I'm a nosy neighbour. If I hear something, I'm out the front of that door. I'm like, well, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking out the window. I don't have curtains, but they'd be twitching. In their defence, they did look out the window, but they didn't no, see anything. I'm but it, that doesn't matter. I'm outside. Then if I think yeah. it's like more than just a row, I'd be there. I'd be there. I swear, one of our chickens screamed like a child. It literally went, ah! <laughs> and uh, I was straight out the door thinking what the hell is that and then it did it again right in front of me I was like <sighs> one time uh, when I was with my ex-partner so we again lived in the middle of nowhere but on a massive farm and we could hear like a woman screaming foxes murder <laughs> it was it was honestly it was blood curdling screams and we were like, Jesus Christ, what do we do? What do we do? And we were on the brink of calling the police until we realised that it was a vixen. Yeah. They make horrendous noises when they're on heat. So yeah, it- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard what a deer sounds like? Yeah, that's also scary. A deer is Harrowing. awful. Yeah. What does a deer sound like, It Becky? sounds like a ghost. It's like... It's just really high-pitched and very, very loud. And I didn't think they made noise. It's like a turtle shagging, isn't it? Those noises are hilarious. (laughs) I say, well, animals are so bloody dramatic. (laughs) But 
apparently that would be that like the vixen on heat sound would be the origin of where the banshee legends came from you know the scream of the banshee yeah uh, well, people thought that they were hearing the scream of the banshee when actually they were just hearing a Thank vixen. Come fuck me, bitches. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but to be, I mean, I've heard it and it is pretty terrifying when you don't know what it is. Sorry for any background noise. My cat's decided to jump in the recycling cardboard. <laughs> Fun. She's digging. She's digging. It wouldn't be an episode without one of us getting confused with what we're saying. And one of your cats doing something in the background. So, literally, just now on Facebook, well, I say literally just now, it was four hours ago, but I've literally just seen it. So, Ruth has listened to our most recent episode. Ruth is the lady who has the skeleton at her dining room table. Yeah. Yes. She says, great episode, though I'd have moved out of Sally's house. She can keep it. And I do have a tendency to agree. As you asked, the skeleton is called Charlie. Perfect guy, he stays in shape, smiles all the time, and he keeps his opinions to himself. And he eats nothing, very cheap to keep, apart from the odd soul or two. Ah. <laughs> I like Ruth. Oh, thanks, Ruth. Charlie the skeleton. Charlie the skeleton. What? That's a good name for a skeleton. Skeleton. Yeah, I'm not saying Skelen- that right. And I think we've touched on this before, so let's just pretend it's not. <laughs> I can't, some words I can't say, okay? Skeleton. <laughs> I don't want to try. <laughs> you picked on me for not being able to say Liam Perrin's sauce last so week. So much. I was such a bitch. <laughs> so sorry. I even put it in the description. Don't tell Tash if you can't say it because she will cut you. <laughs> so yeah. Ruth sounds awesome. And are we ready for the final part? I have done it. I have fit it all in. I have finished my Sunny House story. We're going to do it today. Are you ready for it? Yes, 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 Becky's yes. ready. <laughs> I was going to do like a chant, but it just kind of, kind of came out as being really aggressive. So <laughs> it was supposed to be like, yes, 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 yes. Last week, we kind of left it where... Tony had had that horrific experience with that woman who kind of came out of particles of dust. Oh, yeah. And she said, I'm gonna... Oh, shit, yeah, I'm gonna what? And we don't know what she's gonna do. We don't know what she's gonna do. And uh, Taylor, the little baby, also was just becoming very fearful Mm. of the nursery. And just generally, the feeling in the house was not a good one, right? I think you need to listen to, like, cats dogs and babies no shit and you need to listen to them if they're starting to get freaked out move out don't say that because wasn't it last week when i was recording we had to stop for like 10 minutes because yeah, my your cats... cats all went mental well it's probably blue lip lady come down from the attic to have oh a little, shut up becky a little cup of tea <laughs> sure c- ah! if my child said that there was a person Living in the fucking attic with purple lips, I would have died. Well, I wasn't happy about it. It kills me how Becky just brings that up every now and again. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it shocked me. It's uh, I've just got the I'm, I've got the image in my mind, and I would never sleep again. It's kept me up in my almost new house. 
just thinking that she's going to call through my window. There's more places for demons to hide in your house than there is in Emma's house. Yeah, but there's good energy here. There should be. Well, I know, actually. Person that we bought it off divorced. There's lots of bad energy in this house. <laughs> but they're all still alive. So Why would you bring up purple lip lady? <laughs> because she haunts my dreams. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, last last week, literally, I don't know, I had about six cats in the kitchen and they all just started hissing and running around and getting all spiky for no reason. And I nearly wet my pants. I was not impressed because I was in the middle of telling the Sally House story. <laughs> and uh, yeah, little on edge. Not a fan. I'm going to go with the fact that they were afraid of a tape measure. That's what I'm going <laughs> Do you know with. what? That's probably not, that's not a lie, probably. Cats are weird. Yeah, they got one of them got spooked by the tape measure and then they all just went fucking mental and it had nothing to do with the lady who has got blue lips and who lives in my attic. Yeah, Becky. 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 <laughs> fucking weird sleep demons that haunt my dreams. Ah, well, I'm used to them now. Oh, yeah. yeah right. And there was used to be weird blue lip ladies. Leave her alone. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. She's. <laughs> Let's just leave her be. I can just meet. I'm just all twitchy and like coming down the stairs oh, like oh. the grudge does. Becky? <laughs> Becky, can you just fuck off? <laughs> I don't feel like this is a joke anymore. Stop being mean. <laughs> Who, me? Both of you. <laughs> <laughs> We're not being mean, oh. sweetheart. You're the mean one. Hey. <laughs> no. Am I? <laughs> What's happening? I don't, you said I was the mean one. <laughs> you are. You're the one that's... What? When you say something mean, me and Becky are both like shit. Okay. <laughs> me and Becky are never mean. It's always just bants. But also, Becky, that was not cool. Now you're being mean. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'll try not to mention her for a few episodes. Yes, thank you. And we don't need to compare her to the woman out of the grudge because I've literally just managed to get that bloody woman out of my head. She haunted me for years. Oh, it's a noise. Wasn't sort of thing it? that I can. Oh. I don't like the uh, oh. the whole. I don't like things with big mouths like that open their mouths really like wide and that yeah. twitch and then no the dislocated movement thing. Ugh. Yeah, and and also she doesn't stop. The goodies don't win, and that I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when the goodies win. The goodies should always win. But that was a trend. I haven't watched a horror film for a long time, but there was a trend where all of a sudden it was just, there was never a happy ending. It was like, oh, the sun is out and oh, we're all safe. And then all of a sudden you turn around and the best friend that you've survived with is actually evil and is a ghost or something. Like that. There's always something. Yeah, but there was a trend of that. Yeah, I didn't like that either. Yeah. Anyway, Sally House, Sally final House. part. Come on, let's do this. Will there be a, the same trend with the Sally House? Mm-hmm. Will there? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> For this final part, I'm going to do things a little bit differently and tell the story more from Tony's perspective. Cool, big tone. 
I feel like he had it right since the start, and we've been following Deborah's side more. As we all have realised by now, Tony and Deborah experienced the haunting very differently. Deborah was intrigued, fascinated, and embraced it, whilst Tony has always been a lot more reserved and fearful of it. I'd be Tony. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Tony. So we've had a few glimpses at why he felt this way. But in this final part, we're really going to find out what poor Tony endured during the two years he lived at the Sally House. So we need to start by talking a bit about Barbara, the psychic. Remember Barbara? Yeah. Everybody remember Babs? She's just quite blasé about yeah. it all, isn't she? She is indeed, she is. So she was actually a very well-known psychic medium and she toured the country giving talks about her experiences And with the Pitman's permission, she used their story, keeping them anonymous, and also she showed the many pictures that they had sent her as evidence, because they took some weird-ass photos with some really strange anomalies on there, and they always sent them to Barbara, so Barbara used these photos during her tours and her talks. After one of her talks, she was approached by both Unsolved Mysteries and Sightings, so have you heard both of those shows? Uh, Unsolved the first Mysteries, one. yeah. Well, Sightings was a bit like Unsolved Mysteries, but a little less well-known. But they're both like that kind of paranormal, spooky, what's going on, 90s vibe show, yeah? yeah? So they wanted to know if they could contact the family and investigate the property. Yeah. So Barbara contacted the Pickmans and asked them what they felt about going public. So Deborah, of course, was super interested at the idea of having their house investigated, whilst Tony was pretty firm with his absolutely not attitude. After all, he had already been ostracised at work, they lived in a very small, very religious community, and he was really worried about what people would think of them if they did end up on TV talking about Sally. I mean, fair enough. After several arguments, Deborah managed to convince him He agreed as long as his identity was hidden and they went with the smaller show that was sightings. The family were given different identities and Tony's face was blurred out whilst the sightings crew were filming at their house. I find this funny because I've actually watched one of these episodes and Deborah's face is not blurred out. So anybody who knows them... (laughs) Oh, and then Tony's just got his face blurred out and a weird na- a weird voice, you know, when they do the weird voiceover, but they distort the voice. No, he didn't get the distorted voice. I think he had the same voice. I think they called him Jeff <laughs> and he was blurred out. She had a different name, but she just... See, Jeff was... the Mongoose. <laughs> oh, don't remind me about Jeff the Mongoose. <laughs> Jesus, I'm never sleeping tonight. I'm going to be thinking about all sorts of shit. <laughs> So yeah, Tony was completely anonymous while Deborah was just there. So that made me giggle a bit. So on their first investigation, they got Tony being scratched on camera. Also, the whole crew experienced cold drafts and spots and lots of other paranormal activity. So much so that they returned a second time and a third and finally a fourth. Each time bringing in another paranormal expert or famous psychic And even on one occasion, the host himself joined the investigation, which was absolutely unheard of, but he just had to see the happenings for himself. Each time they came to film, Tony was attacked and the scratches and welts would appear on his body out of nowhere, 
On one occasion, under the watchful eye of world-renowned parapsychologist Kerry Gaynor, Tony was attacked 11 separate times in one evening. The scratches appearing out of nowhere on his body, with his hands in plain sight. The crew also experienced snapping electrical static sounds and feelings around them, and a rose inexplicably burnt, but not like you would expect. It looked like each petal had been taken off, singed around the edge, and then put back together. It was scientifically impossible, and baffled all the experts. So poor old Tony, everybody's so excited because they're like, oh my god, we've got no explanation of why he's getting scratched. And I will admit, the footage is amazing, because they've literally just got a camera on him. It's not cutting out, and you can just see these scratches appearing on him out of nowhere, so I can understand their excitement, but poor Tony, he's just getting, like, scratched to shit every single time. Yeah, he is the bait, he is the bait. So they captured a low-groaning EVP as a direct response to Tony asking Sally to do something, which sounds absolutely horrible. I think it's on the episode that I'll link in our episode details if you want to go and watch it. It doesn't sound very nice at all. There was also an occasion where Tony's shirt burst into flames out of nowhere. He wasn't harmed, but still terrifying. Indeed. So I will link the sightings episode in the details so you guys can see and hear for yourselves. Every time the crew asked to come back, poor Tony said no as he was getting the brunt of all the attacks. And every time he ended up giving in to Deborah's intrigue and hunger for more proof. Once the episodes had aired, they were contacted by a woman who seemed genuinely concerned for the family's welfare and asked them if they would like her to do a house cleansing and get the spirits to move on. She said she was a psychic and her spirit guide was a shaman and that with his guidance they could rid the house of the entities. They agreed after seeing how horrifically Tony had been attacked during the sightings filmings. She returned later that day, dressed in full Native American dress. They made a circle and were instructed never to break the circle no matter what. She sensed at least three spirits. Once, a gentleman who went quite easily. One, an angry woman who refused to leave and attacked Tony multiple times before eventually accepting and leaving. Oh, it's a Karen. Yeah. Karen of the underworld. And the third was Sally the scared little girl that was hiding in the corner. Deborah said to leave her be and not to make her move on, so they didn't. Afterwards, however, instead of things being calmer, things ramped up. And again, I'm going to post photos of what Tony looked like after this cleansing, because he was getting attacked when they were trying to move this angry woman over, but his back was slashed. It's horrendous. So I will post photos of that. But the cleansing did fuck all to help because things just got worse. So since the very beginning, Tony had always had his doubts that Sally was a harmless little girl and he felt that there was something demonic in the house. Deborah was blinded by the idea of a poor little girl's spirit needing love. Tony was always convinced that Sally was manipulating Deborah and clouding her thoughts And over the two years, this became apparent, as Tony more than once tried to tell her how scared he was and how he thought they should move, and she always just brushed him off. 
so eventually he just stopped telling her. The terrifying experience with the old hag forming out of dust particles happened to him more than once. He would see Sally trying to drag him off the bed. One time, she transformed into some kind of rotting creature on all fours with maggots coming out of her skin. He would hear scratching in the walls that Deborah never heard, or if she did, she put it down to vermin. But these scratches sounded like someone was trying to scratch out of the walls. So yeah, it sounded like somebody was trying to scratch out of the walls and not a squirrel or a rat. At one point, his sleep was constantly being disrupted by something holding him down. One particular time, he managed to wake up Deborah, who made this thing go away. Even though she couldn't see anything, she did, however, see the bruise marks that were left on his thighs in the shape of a child's hand. He would hear voices all the time. Sometimes he couldn't understand them. Sometimes they were telling him to do awful things to Deborah. He would see full-body apparitions of a woman who looked just like Deborah when he was home alone. And one time he was pushed with such a force as he was leaving the bedroom to go downstairs that his body actually broke three of the runners of the banister. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a miracle he didn't fall down the stairs and end up seriously injured, or worse. One day he was asleep on the sofa with Deborah, sat next to him. They were watching TV. He often slept on the settee as he found it less scary being with someone than alone upstairs. Oh, bless him. In his sleep, he sat up bolt right and stared at Deborah and said, He is mine. Oh my God. And then just laid back down and continued his nap. Deborah had put this down to him perhaps having a nightmare about Taylor and saying, He is mine, meaning he's my son. Although I am now persuaded that this was the first sign of possession. Why would you put that down to anything else? Because I think Deborah's being manipulated by this little Sally ghost. That's my feeling. That makes sense. She's always like, oh, it's something else. It's nothing bad. It's it's really interesting. You know, she, she's getting the cute side of it. Tony's getting the horrendous side of it. True. Yeah. But how, yeah, how she brushed that off, I don't know, because that's terrifying. Tony described being filled with rage at Deborah. He would dream about slitting her throat. And when he was awake, he would feel an extreme jealousy towards her, which is another thing that leads me to believe that he wasn't himself. Because if he's being possessed by, like, that woman, or a woman, and she's saying, he's mine, then she would feel an intense jealousy towards Deborah, yeah, wouldn't definitely. she? So I don't think at this point his feelings are his own. One day after he'd woken up, Deborah was at work, so he was still working nights at this point, so he was alone during the day. He remembers being so filled with hate that he actually planned to kill Deborah when she came home. Oh my god. I'll just slit her throat from behind, he thought to himself gleefully. He went to make himself some cereal and added the milk. As he turned around to put stuff away, a neighbourhood cat must have snuck in and thought it would help itself to his food. When he saw this, he grabbed a kitchen knife and stabbed the poor cat to death. He admired his work and smiled at the thought of how horrified Deborah would be when she got home and saw this. 
They both were animal lovers and he knew that Deborah would be so shocked and upset to see the cat stabbed to the counter like that. Leaving the scene just as it was, he went to visit his mum and as soon as he left the house, he became himself again. And when he returned home, he was absolutely horrified at the sight of the dead cat and cleaned everything up before Deborah got home. He then called her. He didn't mention what had happened, but he began saying, look, I'm really scared. I think someone's going to end up getting hurt and I really think it's going to be you. Yeah. When she returned home, they finally talked and he told her about everything that had gone on and how he felt that whatever was in the house, it wasn't good and they needed to get out. Thoughts of the Amityville murders flowed through his head. You know, the Amityville murders where the guy said it was the voices that told him to kill his whole family, yeah? yeah? Well, this is kind of what he's experiencing. And finally, he managed to get Deborah to agree and they started to look for places to move to. But sadly, the story doesn't end there. When the family moved, something followed them. And although it wasn't as powerful or as present, objects such as knives would fly across the room of their own accord. Tony's clothes would catch fire for no reason. And chillingly, a few years after they had moved, Tony woke up on the lawn of the Sally house. He must have sleepwalked there from their new house because they still stayed in the same town. They just moved house. Uh. But can you imagine that? He woke up and he was just stood on the lawn of the Sally house. Yeah, that's creepy as fuck. He says to this day he feels the house calling him back and he has to fight the urge to return. Others that have visited the house have also said that they have felt for a while afterwards a compelling feeling to go back. It doesn't help that the next person to rent the house was some kind of a dark witch and had decided to live there simply because it had been on the show sightings. She painted a pentagram in the basement and performed Satan. Oh my God, no, she's asking for trouble doing that. Well, she wanted it and performed satanic rituals. Of course, when the landlord got wind of this, he evicted her and patented over the pentagram, but it would always reappear. It took multiple layers of paint to hide it entirely. To this day, people who visit the house report getting scratched, feeling nauseous and generally unwell, and sometimes something follows them home. No one really knows if there is in fact a little girl's spirit trapped in the house or if it is a demonic entity posing as an innocent child who manipulated Deborah but never fooled Tony. I know which answer my money is on and if ever the opportunity arose to go visit the Sally house, my answer would be affirm, no thank you. Yeah, same, same, I don't want to go. No. So if you would like to hear an interview with the Pickments about all their experience, I fully recommend listening to a podcast called Astonishing Legends, who did an amazing four-part series about the house. I will also post a link to their show in our details. And that is the end of The Sally House. I really, really enjoyed it, and I actually think it's been my favourite four-parter you've ever done. I know it's the only four-parter you've ever done, but the combined story, I think Mm. it's my favourite. Terrifying, though, right? Horrendously Horrendously awful. I love, I don't love, but I I think it's really cool how they're the 
both had completely different experiences. Completely. And she just brushed him off all the time. I can't imagine how lonely. You'd think you're going mental, wouldn't you? If you think... Yeah. Yeah. He did. He did. He absolutely thought, okay, this is me. I'm losing my goddamn mind. Am I schizophrenic? You know, he really did think he was going mad. Poor guy. Yeah, awful for him. I feel really bad. But you can't blame Deborah as well because I think she was just being manipulated. Yeah, I mean, if, if you know, Sally was in her ear kind of whispering thoughts into her head, like, oh, that's nothing. He's just being silly. You don't know how far they went with it. No. Exactly. If one of them was in his head at one point, actually make it made him kill a cat and wanting to kill his wife, manipulation's easy against that. I was not happy about the cat bit. No, I kind of held my breath through that. Yeah, and he's absolutely horrified about it when he talks about it. Oh God, as you would be. I don't remember doing it, but I know I was the only person in the house. And I just can't believe I did that because I love animals. Can you imagine how terrifying that'd be to know that you've done that, but you don't remember doing it? And he loved it. That's the thing. He was like, that day, he can remember feeling like really happy at the thought of slitting his wife's throat. And he was like giddy and couldn't wait for her to get in because he was like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it today when she gets... I mean, that is fucking terrifying, man. Yeah. I mean, that could have been... He could have done that to one of his kids and be like, oh, yeah, I'll do that to my wife when she gets home. Oh, it doesn't bear thinking You know, it, I mean, it could have been... It could have turned... If he didn't leave the house that day, that, that, that would have gone very bad very quickly. Yeah. Well, worse, quicker. Well, look at Amityville. Poor I mean, I don't, I don't know what I believe with Amityville, but yeah, that's uh, pretty creepy mm. and did not end well. Okay. No. Are you ready for my song this week? Yes. Let's do it. I picked a song most people should know this song, I think. It's a pretty famous song. And to be fair, the song without me even touching it is creepy enough. I hate this song. <laughs> it's. It's such a creepy song. But let's see if you can guess it. I knew you were made for only me. I knew it the first time I saw you. That time you spoke to me at the bar, you didn't know that I already loved you. I was a little drunk and probably feeling braver than I should. But I took your hand. You pushed, but I pulled. No playing hard to get now. Just follow me. I've got it all planned. Your own special quiet room where I can look at your body. Oh God, I love your body. Oh my God, what is this? I don't know why you won't accept it. It's obvious we're made for each other. You know it really deep down. Shush now, don't speak. I just want to look at your shape. Your scent is now all over my bed. It's heavenly. Oh, I know what it is. I'll keep you with me for weeks so I can study every inch of that beautiful body. Then who knows? I'm crazy, or so I've been told. I do worry that when I finish with you, I might not like your shape so much. There you go. Ooh, send in your suggestions. Yeah, uh, MP it though, so it doesn't give the game away. And yeah, let us know what song you think I was talking about. You got it, I think, Bex. 
Yeah, I think so. I have no fucking idea. I'll have to try and do one. Yeah, yes, do. Join in, Bex. If you've got one, do it. There are some creepy-ass songs out there. Yeah. Ladies? Gentlemen? There are no gentlemen here. (laughs) And everyone in between. (laughs) But just you two, shall we uh, wrap it up? Yep, I really want to go to bed, so that'll be good. Okay, well, let's do it then. So Tash can go and have her beauty sleep. Mm -hmm. You can check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at SCSK underscore podcast. Uh, We're on Facebook as well, uh, just under Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. And also, I have created a YouTube channel for us. And it literally is just the podcast that you will hear anywhere else. But if you felt like being really generous and going over there and giving us some subscriptions, because at the minute we have none, that would be absolutely awesome. So the YouTube channel is just Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. Uh, Email Becky. Becky wants some emails. Yeah, at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. So any true crime or scary stories or just wanting to reach out, or answers to the song quiz. Answers, again, I forgot. <laughs> answers to the song quiz. Come on, send them in. Send them. We, send we them want in. them. We want them. We want them. We want send them. them. Send them. Do it now. No. Oh, no, don't yes. do that. It's too, too far. You took it too far. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you two? I'm so sweaty. I'm literally... My boobs are just free. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to say go wash. Go wash? No, I'm I'm just really, really hot. So I'm just kind of... You just said you got boob sweat, mate. What? No, mum, no, I'm just... Go wash. (sighs) Stay safe. (laughs) Taffy's just like, I just want to go to bed. Will you just stay safe? (laughs) Yeah. Um, don't kill people. (laughs) And keep it weird. Bye. 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 (laughs) You two are so fucking weird. Yeah, we are.